All right, good morning again. Before we get into our study of the Word, uh, I have an announcement. It, it's uh, regarding the uh, internet, the webpage that we have. We've launched a new ministry on the webpage. It's a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week streaming internet radio. Uh, it's not really a radio. You understand that, right? Because it's on the internet. So you can't get in your car and tune into it. But it's called Internet Radio because it's a stream 24 hours a day, seven days a week. On the front page, you would go and you would just click where it says 24-hour Internet Radio. And uh, it brings up your default uh, media player, either Windows Media Player or iTunes or Real Player. And um, it'll connect and then it'll just start playing and it just keeps going until you disconnect. What we've got on there right now is a uh, 67-hour loop of teaching through the Gospel of Luke, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, interspersed with uh, announcements and uh, songs and worship from Sunday morning and things like that. Uh, in the future, we hope to involve some of our sister churches uh, in Tulare and Eureka uh, and North Fork, get some of the studies on there by pastors John and Eric and Glenn. Uh, we're going to put Jake's passages to ponder on there and all kinds of stuff. So we're just kind of getting our feet wet. Uh, we'll have other original music. But uh, it's just another tool, just another way of getting the gospel out, either for you to listen to it in the background or to follow some of the studies or to tell your friends and family about it. Uh, it it's just fun. It's something we're able to do. Uh, it's very cost effective. It, it, you know, it doesn't cost hardly anything to do it. Uh, it's mostly the man hours for us putting it together. Uh, and, uh, and then it has, it's real high on the cool factor, uh, which is, you know, uh, what we're really doing it for. But no, seriously. Uh, so it's cool. So you got the website, so you can listen to streaming radio. Uh, if you want to, uh, you know, listen to a specific Bible study, all of those same studies and hundreds more are on our Bible study page where you can listen to them uh, while you're on the computer. Or you can burn them to a CD and take them with you. Uh, if you're really low-tech, we can provide you the CDs. Uh, we'll, we'll get them to you. If you can't afford them, we'll give them to you. What we won't do is give you a cassette tape. I mean, if you're still listening to cassette tapes, I can't help you anymore. Uh, you are just, anybody that still has a cassette tape deck, uh, you're, you're a dinosaur. Uh, and, and, you know, we will do, we'll buy, I'll buy you an MP3 player if you still have a cassette tape deck. Uh, if you're hearing impaired, you can read the Bible studies. You can print them out on the, on, on the uh, Bible study page. So we have all kinds of ways for you to interact with the Word of God. But more than that, more than as important as your own growth is, to really use it as a tool to introduce people to the fellowship and let them know what it's all about. If you're out of town, you know you can click on there and watch the services live. Anybody watching? Hi. We're glad to see you. We have live streaming audio on, uh, and video on Sunday mornings and live audio on Wednesdays. Uh, and so I belabor this a little bit because even after first service, one of the brothers said, you mean I can download Bible studies online? I go, yes, absolutely. And so there's a lot of stuff on our website. I'm really happy with the website and what uh, we've got on there. Anytime you have trouble with the website, broken links and stuff like that, email us and let us know. But uh, check that out and pray about how you might use that, uh, how you might introduce that to somebody as a way of preaching the gospel to them. All right, we are in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'd open it to Acts chapter 23. Acts is a big book right there in the beginning of the New Testament. You can't hardly miss it. 
right after the Gospels. Open to Acts 23. We're going to put in at verse 11 and read through to verse 35 so that we know what we're talking about. The topic of those verses, a band of 40 zealous Jews takes a vow not to eat again until they have murdered the Apostle Paul. The title of our message, The Fast of the Furious. I never know what you guys are going to laugh at or not. The alternative title this morning was, We'll Murder for Food. I thought that was a little morbid. Verse 11, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. And provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had done nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. When the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from, and when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come, and he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessing upon our study of the word. Uh, that will come, Lord, as we attend to the voice of your Holy Spirit, who is here to uh, teach the word to us and to bring it to bear on our life and our life's experience so that we will know more about Jesus, 
uh, and his love for us and his grace on our behalf than we did before we heard it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Discouragement is reaching epidemic proportion among Christian leaders. It is typically called burnout. The popular treatment for it is withdrawal from ministry for a period of time, if not permanently. Withdrawal, however, sets a bad example, and here's why. Everyone suffers from discouragement from time to time, and some of it, uh, some of you more than others. You can be discouraged in your marriage, or at church, or at work, or with school. You can be discouraged with people, or with places. In most of those cases, you can't simply withdraw. And so for leaders to simply withdraw from their discouragement seems counterproductive to me. So what should you do when discouraged? Well, the opposite of discouragement would be encouragement, not escape. The Apostle Paul received just such an encouragement. Jesus appeared to him and said, be of good cheer. The phrase is a translation of one word in Greek, which means to take courage or to be encouraged. Immediately you think, well, I'd be encouraged too if Jesus Christ appeared to me, but he doesn't have to. He's already told you that he'll never leave you or forsake you. After his resurrection from the dead, Jesus promised, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You are probably discouraged about something. If you're not, give it a few minutes. You will be. Take courage. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you can take courage in the Lord's assessment. And number two, you can take courage in the Lord's assignment. First of all, in verse 11, you can take courage in the Lord's assessment. Paul was having what we might call a bad couple of days. An angry Jewish mob had tried to tear him limb from limb. Taken into protective custody, he had almost been flogged by the Roman officials. Then he had been nearly torn apart again during his interrogation by the Jewish leaders. He didn't know it yet, but centuries later, most Bible commentators were going to pile on by accusing him of making several errors along the way. They say his going to Jerusalem was a mistake. They say his participating in a Jewish vow in the temple was a mistake, and they say that he lost his temper when being questioned by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Paul was discouraged. We know he was discouraged because of what Jesus said to him in verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. Jesus wouldn't say, take courage, be encouraged, unless Paul was discouraged. Jesus never wastes his words. And by the way, just as an aside, we might assume that Paul was discouraged, but we need to know he was based on what the Bible says. A lot of times we read into things. I, I see a situation in the Bible or a character in the Bible, or, and I think, well, th how, this is how I would feel about that. And then we develop our understanding based on that. We have to develop our understanding by what the Bible actually says and not read too much into it if it doesn't say. But in this case, we know Paul was discouraged. Great apostle though he was, still subject to discouragement because the Lord came to him and said, Paul, be encouraged. In my case and in your case, the Lord doesn't need to appear because he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. We can trust his presence. He appeared to Paul then as a model of what he is trying to say to us whenever we are discouraged. 
First of all, we identify some prerequisites for being encouraged, some things that we need to remind ourselves about. Two of them are suggested by the phrase itself, be of good cheer. This wasn't the first time that Jesus used that phrase. Jake, in his passage to ponder, reminded us of several of those. I want to point out two of them. First of all, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 9, just before Jesus healed the paralyzed man who was let down by his friends through the roof, he told him, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Then in the upper room on the night he was crucified, Jesus told his disciples that in the world they could expect tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. If you are a Christian, your greatest encouragement comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he forgave your sins, past, present, and even future. There on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He was the once and final sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and especially those who believe. And what a glorious thing it is to know that your sins are forgiven and that you can go to heaven. All those who receive Christ as their Lord and Savior have this great benefit in their life. The moment they believe, they are saved and on their way to heaven. On your way home to heaven, you're going to have tribulation. But the Bible tells us that it is a light affliction that's for a moment, and it's working for you to make you more like Jesus Christ. It's to make you better and not bitter. And Jesus began that good work in you, and he's promised to complete it. And so those are two important things that we gain from this understanding of good cheer. I've been forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven, and though it may be difficult to get there in terms of my personal circumstances, I'm going to get there, and God is going to use everything to make me more like his son. Now, notice, too, something else. Jesus called Paul by name. It's an amazing thing for the creator of the universe to know him by name and to call him by name. Think of it this way. Maybe you know a famous person. I don't think I know any famous people. Uh, I, I think if, I guess tomorrow's the Academy Awards, right? Is that, you know, I know you, some people follow that, but of course I'm the only one that knows it. But anyway, uh, tomorrow's the Academy Awards and they have this red carpet thing and I, you know, people are in the stands screaming and stuff. If I was at the Kodak Theater in the stands and I was shouting out to Brad Pitt, he wouldn't look and say, Gene, how you doing? Because he doesn't know my name. If President Bush decided to eat at Quiznos this afternoon, <laughs> it could happen. I've rediscovered Quiznos because they have those Sammies, you know, those little flatbread sandwiches. Man, good stuff. But you have to eat about 12 of them to get one sandwich. You know, they're, they're like, you know, diet kind of things, but you have to have 12 of them. But anyway, if President Bush stopped in there and saw me in there, he wouldn't say, Gene, how are you doing? I mean, they, they don't know me. They can't talk to me by name. And, and that means they don't, they don't know me intimately. They don't know me personally. And, and so it is. It's an amazing, you know, we, we put some value on status and on celebrity. Uh, I remember one time I was at a ball game at uh, Anaheim Stadium. In fact, it was, it was Nolan Ryan's last game at Anaheim Stadium while he was with the Texas Rangers. And uh, so that was cool. So we got tickets and we were there. We got there to watch batting practice and watch him warm up. And, and I'll never forget, there's some guy 
down in the stands, he got down and, and he, he started shouting at Ruben Sierra, who was with the Texas Rangers at that time. He was kind of an up-and-coming superstar. And he's, Ruben, Ruben! And he's yelling and yelling and yelling. And finally, I'm looking at, finally, Ruben Sierra looks up and he comes walking over. And it turned out this guy's friend of a friend of a friend had worked out for him to meet him there and sign you know, a, a ball cap or something like that. And I could tell watching Ruben Sierra that he was annoyed. You know, somebody had called him that afternoon and said, hey, some guy is going to yell out at, at you, and you need to go over and sign his ball cap because I'm doing a favor for him. And so he didn't know him, and when the guy introduced himself, he didn't care to know him. You know, I mean, he wasn't rude. He was, you know, he's a nice guy, but it was just he didn't know him. And so when Jesus comes and he says, Paul, it's an amazing thing. We just, you know, we think, well, of course he knew who Paul was because he's God. But to come to him and to call him by name, and that's the sense that we have. We sing that song, don't we? He knows my name. And it captures in, in just those few words the whole essence of I am known personally to the God who created everything that I see. He loves me. And he has condescended to have a relationship with me. And by the way, uh, there is a, every few years there's some kind of a movement in the church or trying to sneak into the church. They, they try to sneak in more formalism and more uh, kind of things that, that make you feel closer to God, but there are always these weird things. They're, they're guided prayers or directed prayers or thing, visualizations or you know, prayer walks or whatever so that you can feel closer to God. But basically what they're saying is you have to find God. He, he can't really be found that easily. He might not know who you are. And so you need to go on a prayer walk and find him. It's as if you come to church on Sunday and think, now, where's God? It's like the where's Waldo thing, you know? You're looking in the church. Is he in the stained glass? Is he in the prayer walk? Maybe he's in the cafe. He'll be there on the ninth with the chilaquiles, you know? I mean, who knows? And you have to kind of find God through these weird medieval techniques, you know, through incense and certain kinds of praying and, and all of that. And in reality, God is like, hey, I am right here I know you by name. Why don't we just talk? Why don't we have the intimate fellowship that I died and rose from the dead to acquire? And so don't let anybody rob you of that personal understanding. Jesus has forgiven you your sins. He knows you intimately. He's familiar with all your earthly tribulations while he's building your heavenly home. You should be encouraged already. But there's more. He went on in his appearance to Paul to assess Paul's ministry. He said, you have testified for me in Jerusalem. Now, he didn't say, Paul, didn't I warn you to stay out of Jerusalem? He didn't say, Paul, what were you thinking by participating in a Jewish vow? He didn't say, Paul, you blew it when you lost your temper and insulted the high priest. And this should put to rest, remember all these weeks building up to this, I've been telling you how Bible commentators really tear down the apostle Paul for making these errors, and then Jesus comes along and he ignores all of that, and he says, you've testified for me in Jerusalem. And you know, the sense I get about it is that Jesus is all excited about it. He's like, hey, Paul, you testified for me in Jerusalem, way to go, right on. And, and what a tremendous encouragement it would be to hear something like that from the Lord. I'd love to hear the Lord someday say, Gene, you have testified for me in Hanford. The Lord wants to assess your testimony. He's always looking for something to commend, not to condemn. 
If you're discouraged about your testimony, then take some advice from the Apostle Paul. Later on, he would write in Philippians chapter three, I forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So maybe you're discouraged this morning about something. You probably are if you're honest with yourself. Hear the Lord saying to you, if you're a Christian, be of good cheer. And remember that your sins have been forgiven, that your trouble is working for you and not against you, and that you have a secure home in heaven. And then maybe you should just forget about the things that are behind. Look at your devotions, look at your home, look at your church, look at your work, look at your school, look at your involvement in the world, and determine from this point forward to give a testimony for Jesus Christ. A word, a Christian t-shirt, carry your Bible, click on internet radio, whatever it takes, so that at the end of every day, though your day is filled with failure and though you are a flawed individual, the Lord would come to you and in that beautiful, gracious, and merciful way that belongs to him, he would say, Gene, you testified for me today. And I said, well, Lord, I was blowing it all day. And he goes, yeah, but you carried your Bible and you don't know how many people saw you and wondered what that was. And, and there was that one backslidden retail clerk that you don't even know who, who is, is, you know, really challenged now by that. And, and just let the Lord do this work in our lives. And so if you're discouraged, you don't need to be. The Lord is here today and he's saying, hey, be encouraged. And just if you need to, confess and then forget those things that are behind Start from scratch. And then you can take courage in the Lord's assignment, verses 12 through 35. Now, let me just give you a disclaimer. We're not gonna be here all day. We're gonna overview these verses. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, if he spent that much time in verse 11, we're not gonna eat again until March 9th. It's like a visual, you know? But anyway, the end of, we're just gonna, we're, this is mostly narrative. We're gonna, uh, look at it in a quicker manner. Now, the end of verse 11, it sets up the rest of the book of Acts. Jesus said to Paul, you must bear witness at Rome. No matter what followed, Paul knew his assignment. He was going to Rome to share the Lord. And from this point on, the book of Acts is about Paul getting to Rome. He's going to be shipwrecked, He's going to be bitten by a poisonous snake. A lot of horrible things are going to happen along the way. None of it bothered him. None of it moved him because Jesus Christ gave him his assignment. When the Lord Jesus Christ says, you're going to Rome and you're going to give a testimony, that's what's going to happen. And so he, he locked into that. You and I have specific assignments. They may not seem as glamorous as being a missionary to Rome, but they are just as glorious. Think about who you are. You're a man, you're a woman, you're a husband or wife, a father, a mother, a child, you're a church member, you're an employer or an employee. There are a lot of other designations that we could list. Each of these is an assignment that you've been given by God with clear direction in his word for carrying it out. Let's say you're a husband. You already know that you can go to Ephesians chapter five and learn about what a good husband is supposed to do as unto the Lord. Same thing with a wife, same chapter. Or 1 Peter chapter three for husbands and wives. Uh, and, and so you can find portions of scripture in the Proverbs, in the New Testament, uh, as far as employers and employees, or in any of these assignments. So think of that, this is my assignment. 
The Lord hasn't said to me, Gene, you're going to Rome, but he said, Gene, you're a father and you're a husband and you're a grandfather and you're a pastor and you're all of these things and so that's your assignment and now I want you to carry that out. And so we're going to quickly overview the remainder of the chapter with an eye towards being encouraged in our various assignments. And so in verse 12, when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. It seemed as though Paul would never even begin the journey to Rome, let alone testify about Jesus there. The Lord, however, knew Paul's path and was going to go before him along it. 40 Jewish assassins, what's that to Jesus? And so it's no big deal. The Lord said, you're going to Rome and I'm going to make sure you get there. Your assignments take you along paths that are unknown to you. Sometimes people, let's say they take a job, you get into the job a few weeks, months, even years, and then you say, I didn't know it was gonna be like this. If I had known this, I would have never moved here, I would have never taken this job. Sadly, some people do that in their marriages. They say, well, if I'd known this, I would have never gotten married to that person. But the thing is here, the Lord knows your path ahead of you. And he leads you and he guides you and directs you. And if you're in that place where you're supposed to be, then you can trust on his provision no matter how difficult things get. And so when you're tempted to grow discouraged, take courage in his provision. Verse 16, so when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. Don't yield to them for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him and now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one you have revealed these things to me. You gotta wonder about these guys. I mean, this is like a whole separate study, but how long did they wait? And when did they eat again? I mean, how serious are you? We're not gonna eat until we've killed Paul. Uh, it's not gonna happen, you know, so uh, foolish vows. Now, we know almost nothing about Paul's family other than his father was a Roman citizen and that he had a sister who was in Jerusalem at the time of this incident with her young son, who was Paul's nephew. One of the things we learn here is that there are no coincidences, only God's providence. Paul's in prison. There's no way he could know about this plot. All of a sudden, these 40 Jewish guys with, I guess, who can't keep a secret... Uh, Paul's nephew, where does that come from? I mean, you're thinking, when you go through this and you read that, you think, whoa, Paul has a nephew? Where did that come from? It is to shock you into the understanding that this is God's providence. 
It's, it came from God. All of a sudden, Paul had a nephew that happened to be in Jerusalem with his sister who happened to overhear this plot, who happened to be used by God. And so there are no coincidences, only providence. We might define providence using Ephesians 1.11, which says in part, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Doesn't mean God causes all things to happen. God gets blamed for a lot of things that are our fault because we're sinners and we live in a fallen world. But whatever happens, God uses in order to accomplish his will. His will will ultimately be done. And so he works through this situation in his providence. And so you can take courage in your assignments knowing that God's providence is working all things according to the counsel of his will. If 40 people are getting ready to kill you tomorrow, uh, God will send a nephew to tell you, uh, something like that. 40 people might be willing to kill me if I don't finish soon. But anyway... And he called in verse 23 for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the cat, oh, excuse me, the governor. <laughs> well, who names, well, never mind. Every time I say something like that, somebody gets hurt because they're here and their name is Felix. But anyway... It was an all-expenses-paid trip to Rome through the countryside on horseback. This is like out of a brochure. Guarded by, you know, over 400 Roman soldiers. I mean, Paul, Paul had to be just cracking up about this. Forty furious fasting assassins were no match for over 400 armed and mounted Roman soldiers. And so we would have to call this what? God's protection. You can be encouraged in your assignments that God will protect you. Maybe not as dramatically, maybe not in a way that you would like, uh, but God will protect you in his own way. Verse 25, he wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Now, Claudius Lysias paints himself in a very positive light. He says uh, that the, the Jews were going to kill him uh, and I found out he was a Roman citizen. Well, that's not exactly how it happened, as you recall. The Jews were gonna kill him, he came and got Paul, and then he, was, he bound him and was gonna beat him, and then Paul said, excuse me, I'm a Roman citizen, and what you're doing right now is illegal. Uh, so he kind of you know, glossed over some of the details there. Uh, the gist of it was correct, and I point that out for this reason. People can be fickle. People can be fickle. Uh, you know, Paul, he could have gotten this guy into a lot of trouble. It was well known, others would have testified to it, that in his custody, in Claudius Lysias' custody, Paul had been bound as an uncondemned Roman citizen and was about to be flogged. And, and it could have been very, very serious. It could have been the, not just the end of his career, but maybe even the end of his life. But Paul understood that people could be fickle. 
and he had no ax to grind. He knew that Claudius Lysias was just a person caught up in the drama of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would later write in the pastoral epistles that unbelievers are taken captive by the devil to do his will. It doesn't mean they're demon-possessed or that they even know what they're doing. It means that the devil is able to, to motivate situations and use situations against God's people. And so we need to cut people some slack who are giving us a hard time, especially if they're not Christians, and realize that people can be fickle, even the people that are closest to you. And so the encouragement here is to look beyond people to the Lord. Our lives are to be lived as unto the Lord. In marriage counseling, a lot of times people say, I just, I can't, you know, hang with my husband anymore or my wife. I say, well, let's look beyond that person to the Lord. You're married and you're a good wife as unto the Lord. Well, I'm not happy. That'll come, maybe. But in the meantime, let's serve as unto the Lord. I want out of my job. Okay, that's a more difficult one. It's possible to change jobs. We're not saying you can't change jobs. But just because your boss mistreats you, just because he's a bad guy, just because you didn't get seniority, just because, of, let's be a Christian. We talked about that last week. Let's be gracious. Why get Claudius Lysias in trouble? It's not his fault. He needs the gospel. Of course he's gonna act this way. You know, what, what does he know? And so people, and really people are gonna be the greatest single source of your discouragement. Whatever you're discouraged about, it probably mostly involves another person or other people. Verse 31, as we finish out the chapter, then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. They came to Caesarea, delivered the letter to the governor, and they presented Paul to him. When the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from, and when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I'll hear you then when your accusers have also come, and he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Now, Paul was on his way to Rome, and as I've said, the rest of the book will chronicle this. We're gonna see that it's gonna take the Romans over two years to get Paul to Rome. And all that time, he is in Roman custody. He's not locked in a dungeon, but he's not free either. Two years, it wasn't that long a journey, you understand. It's just that red tape and paperwork and that kind of thing. Two years of his life getting to Rome. The lesson here, of course, patience. Growing impatient is a major source of discouragement. The Lord uses your various assignments to teach you patience. Remember what the scripture says, tribulation works patience. Never pray for patience because you're praying for trouble. If tribulation works patience, when you pray for patience, you get trouble. You'll have enough trouble without praying for it. In your trouble, pray for patience. Say, Lord, I'm in trouble now, so teach me patience. You are on assignments for God. You have clear principles and precepts that guide you in those various assignments. People will be the major source of discouragement, but you can look beyond them and live as unto Jesus. Along the way home to heaven, you'll be taught patience, but you can always count on God's providence on his provision, and on his protection in the midst of those troubles. Discouragement is a cruel but common tool of the enemy of your soul. It can rot 
and ruin you. At the very least, it can halt your progress in the Christian life. As I said at the beginning, most of us want to withdraw from what, is, what we believe is causing our discouragement. We want to withdraw. Instead, the remedy, the real remedy, is to hear Jesus draw close to you and say, Gene, be of good cheer. You're forgiven. I'm building your home in heaven. It's almost ready. I'm coming soon. I told you there'd be trouble in the world. You shouldn't be expecting anything other than trouble. But I've provided for you in your trouble. I'll protect you in your trouble. If people are your problem, get your eyes off of them and on to me because I am your Lord and Savior. Serve as unto me, minister as unto me, work as unto me, be a husband, a father, a grandfather as unto me. Change your whole perspective. If you need to, start from scratch today and ask the Lord to give you a testimony in all of your assignments and then listen each day for the Lord's assessment. He wants to come to you with all the excitement of the risen Lord and say, well done, you gave a testimony for me today. Way to go. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these things, especially, Lord, uh, understanding that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, that he's a risen, living Savior who's in love with us, madly in love with us, overlooking flaws and failures left and right in order to commend us. And even if we can't overlook them, even if we have horribly failed, Lord, we can confess our sin and you will forgive us and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness and we can start right now today again. And every day that we fall short and fail, we can do that and listen for your wonderful encouragement throughout the day, at the end of the day, at the beginning of each morning. And so may we be honest enough to survey our lives and see how we're doing in, in our assignments. We know who we are. We know what we're supposed to be doing. If we need to find those passages in your word that tell us how to do that, then bring us there so that you can infuse us with your power in the doing of them. And let us just draw close to you, Lord. You haven't moved. You never do. If, if there's any distance, we've created it. Lord, I pray for us as a church and as individual Christians that we wouldn't buy into things that are happening in the Christian church today that are putting up obstacles between us and you different types of forms and prayers and liturgies and things like that, that that put us at odds with you and at a distance from you. May we understand the reverent but casual, intimate nature of your love for us. It's a romantic love. It's an overflowing love. It's an extravagant love. And may we, in that love, share you with others, Lord both Christians and unbelievers. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's please stand together. The guys are here to pray with you. You all need prayer. Well, most of you do. Actually, we all do. So if, if you got time this morning, come forward, pray with them. Maybe there's a need in your life or maybe there's someone you know of that's struggling. Maybe it's your workplace. You're thinking this morning, you know, I want to be a testimony where I work or at school or in my home. Uh, let me just start off from scratch with prayer that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that God would begin to use me again and, and, and just kick off that kind of thing. The guys will stay here as long as, as it takes. The rest of you, your assignment as usual is to meet somebody that you don't know. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but just find somebody you've never seen before. Introduce yourself to them. 
If you get to the place here where you know everybody, let's say that Sunday comes and you think, I know everybody here, then you have to start going to first service. Not really, but, you know, we're just trying to be friendly. The cafe is open. Uh, if you're visiting here for the first time or, uh, or you're sort of new and you've never been given a welcome packet, there's some on the back table or the guys up front have them. They have in them the coveted free beverage card. Uh, good for any free beverage over in the cafe. Spend some time over there. May God bless and keep you as he reveals himself to you as the risen Lord who wants to say to you, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. You have given testimony of me. God bless you.